Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. I'm going to begin a series today called Meals with the Master. Meals with the Master. Today I, I want to do my best to introduce the subject. There's just a whole lot of cases in the Gospels where Jesus connects with people over food. Jesus was serious about food. Some of us appreciate that more than others. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder now that we are exiting this phase of of the COVID restrictions and going back into working on site and getting closer to people and connecting with people and actually seeing one another's faces. I wonder if you have uh, seen some parties return at work, you know, those birthday celebrations or retirement celebrations or we made our goals this month celebrations. Can I see some hands? How many have seen some parties return at work? Yeah, we're getting a little bit back to that. I'm going to ask you this. What do you, what do you enjoy about work parties other than getting paid to do nothing? What do, you, what do you enjoy about work parties? Or how about this? What do you dislike about work parties? If you have to, think back before COVID. How many... How many work parties does your area or your office or your management, how many do they celebrate every year? I mean, is there just kind of one at Christmas at the end of the year and that's it? Or uh, they meet maybe once a quarter to celebrate different things? Or maybe it's every month something happens. And if you think about that, think about this. Does the frequency of the gathering help you to appreciate them more or to steer back from them more does it make you feel more comfortable in that environment if they happen more often or does it make you feel like i don't know about this i don't know if i want to be there let me ask you this when was the last time your family shared a meal together when's the last time that happened was it easy to make it happen and does it happen often how about this? And, and just sit back and buckle up. I got a whole other page of questions, so I'm not letting up, all right? This is either going to get us all thinking or irritate you. One way or another, I have your attention. What makes family meals enjoyable? What makes them challenging? As you're sharing a family meal, are you likely to be engaged with the other people at the table, or is it all of you around the table and everyone's minds are somewhere else? And if you think back to the years past, as you come to this place in your life, would you say that you have the same number of family meals or more family meals or less family meals? What is it that competes against meals as a family and and if they've become more challenging why why is that based on some things that i've read i'm sure you have as well there are some people that would rather avoid family meals and gatherings as much as possible it amazes me the articles that get posted every year around thanksgiving and christmas or even easter People who begrudge, oh no, another family function. Somebody prints a little snotty article about how difficult it is to have family. Can you tell how I feel about that? It amazes me. Folks that aren't very willing, what's the problem? Well, maybe you're that kind of person. Why, why aren't we very willing to engage conversation with people or of differing opinions? How come we're less willing to understand other people's views or to know how to share our own in a polite and considerate way? Why is it we're not as likely to consider how someone else's opinion 
can approve my own, or perhaps mine can improve theirs and listen with openness rather than defensiveness. There are times in society today when it feels like we gather ourselves into different camps. We pitch our tents with others who predominantly think like we think and value what we value to the exclusion of other camps. You know, around here, it's likely you're a Seahawks fan. I had a meeting with some neighbors Thursday night. We met outside in a common area, and I walked in, and a gentleman spouted out a name looking at me. He just spouted out the name. I said, well, my name's Travis. I'm not sure who you're talking about. <laughs> he said the name again. And I, I said, you know, I, do I look like this fella? Do I, does, is that poor guy bald and short as well? What? He said, that's who the Seahawks drafted at the outside corner. <laughs> sorry, man. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I said, I'm a Seahawks fan. Bless God. That's one camp. Others might be in the, I don't know if I can even say it here, uh, 49ers camp or the Broncos camp. Ay, 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 we're getting in trouble now, aren't we? Maybe the Huskies camp or the Cougs camp, right? When it comes to vehicles, there are people in the buying camp and in the leasing camp those that are in the gas-powered camp and those that are in the electric battery-operated camp. There are those who believe in the youth camp, and those who prefer the elders' camp, new music or older music, those that are in the we-like-to-learn-by-discussion camp and the we'd-rather-learn-via-lecture camp. Are you with me? Camps. Camps. In time, we get, we get hunkered down in our camps. And we start to view other camps, camps of different thoughts, perhaps, as we've not been around them and we've not engaged them and we've not encountered them, that those camps are enemy camps. And the longer we hunker down, the more difficult it becomes to associate with folks in those different camps. We might decide, you know what, we're just not leaving our own camp anymore. Boy, COVID made that easy, didn't it? And if someone in our camp engages with someone in another camp, we might be prone to accuse that person of treachery. We might say things, who does she think she is having coffee with somebody in, in that camp? Who does he think he is laughing and having a good time with someone from that camp? What is wrong with him? Now, here's the thing. If what I am saying today resonates, and I see a lot of heads nodding and, and people recognizing, if that's active and alive in our society today, in our common culture, I wonder how it affects the communication, the conversation between husbands and wives. And how does the camp atmosphere impact conversation between uh, parents and their children or between siblings? Do, do camps affect conversations among fellow disciples? What I really wonder is, do camps, do they hinder or even eliminate relationships between disciples and non-disciples? Does a camp mentality keep the followers of Christ away from those who don't follow him? I wonder if we're living in a unique time or if this camp business has happened in the past, in other cultures, in other times, in other situations. I wonder if the Bible has anything to say about camps. 
The first meal recorded in Scripture that was shared together, it talks about two people coming together and breaking bread, was between Abram and King Melchizedek. It happened in the 14th chapter of Genesis. From there, we continue to read about people having dinner together, sharing a meal. Bible records where Abram prepared an elaborate meal for three guests who showed up at his tent. Turns out they were angelic beings. Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright over a meal of bean soup. Later on, he stole his brother's blessing over a meal of wild game. Jacob later on was being cheated himself. He kind of came to terms with his father-in-law Laban and they became an uneasy little delicate truce was celebrated over a meal. The final significant meal in the book of Genesis takes place when Joseph and his brothers are reunited in Egypt. Joseph, a man of power and a house of plenty, sits down his dad and his brothers and they have a big old meal together. If you look through the Bible and you start reading with food in mind, number one, it'll be hard to fast that day. But if you start paying attention to the food references in Scripture, there's many different reasons and many different contexts in the Old Testament where food and meals are involved. There's typical family meals, of course, but there are meals to ratify covenants or commitments between parties. There are meals to celebrate military victories or to go along with the anointing of a new king. There are meals for special family occasions, the birth of a child, marriage, and the passing through death. And there's meals that are company-prescribed festivals and memorializing key events of God's acts on behalf of his people. In the Old Testament, you can tell there are shared meals that are intentional and purposeful that involves interactions predominantly with family and sometimes with business associations. But also what we find in the Old Testament is that meals distance God's people from others. In our last series, we talked about Feasts, the feasts of the unleavened bread, Passover, and the feast of first fruits, and the feast of the end gathering. Spent a lot of time on that. So, those meals, those gatherings were established by the Lord. Those festivals created, as we talked about, this sense of memory, this sense of being something unique, but they also created a difference, that they were different than the people around them. And in fact, it separated them from the people around them. In Exodus chapter 12, some verses about the Passover. In Exodus 12, 3, the Lord speaking through his prophet Moses announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. Very specific food. One animal for each household. Very specific servings. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family of the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. Look at verse 5, more specific. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Verse 6, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month, when the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. Very prescribed, very detailed instructions for the meal. In verse 7, they take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they roast the meat over a fire, eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. There's a detailed recipe. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever's not eaten before morning. 
These are instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Now, now as a participant, there's details. Fully dressed, wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency. This is the Lord's Passover. A very specific festival, a very specific meal with lots of details. Did that happen over every meal? No, but there were other details for other meals. This sets the course. It sets the pace that when you have a meal together as the children of Israel, as the Jewish people, God's people, there were some specific things to take place without defective lambs, breads without yeast, Impurities need to be removed by being roasted. These are what things are happening. That's a sampling. While meals and other forms of hospitality in the Old Testament can times extend to residents and journeying through the land, it might be offered to total strangers to perhaps create a new friendship. But the Old Testament contains few references to meals as building bridges between those who were previously estranged. Even less often do we see in the Old Testament any kind of command to love your enemies or any illustration of warring parties having dinner together. In fact, the overall impression as you look through the Old Testament and all the meals, it meals drew boundaries. And only those who in some sense belonged with the group were included. The total outsider was not welcome at that dinner. We do not find in the Old Testament a single example of an uninvited guest or of faithful Israelites taking the initiative to seek out those who might be ritually outcast or morally outcast. We don't see anywhere in the Old Testament where they're looking for somebody else to bring into the fold and join with them in a family fellowship meal. Now, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about 400 years of history where the Bible doesn't talk about much. It's called the intertestamental period. During that period, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, they have even got more restricted in their guidelines. They added more measurements for the meals and more measurements for how you would cleanse and ritualize and what you would do and more steps and more stages. What we see often today in conservative Jewish populations in their preparation for mealtime was developed more specifically during that time. They, they really went after it. They really, it was all about having the right kind of people at food with you, eating the right kind of food. And the more they did this, think about it, every meal, every day, they practiced these dietary and cleansing rituals. They did it for generation after generation. It became deep in their consciousness that as you obey God, and I've got this solidarity with all these people around me that are doing the same thing in the same way, we're all in our same little camp of how we think and how we have dinner and how we operate. And those eating and cleansing practices, they build up this barrier that kept them from mingling or assimilating with any other groups around them. It kept them from any kind of fellowship and relational development with Gentiles. And over time, Israel used meals to build and preserve their camp. You, you couldn't have dinner with the Israelites unless you knew how to clean up just right. You wouldn't, as an Israelite, have dinner at someone else's house because they didn't raise the food just right. They didn't prepare it just right. They didn't roast it just right. You didn't accept invitations with a business partner who wasn't an Israelite because their food wouldn't be cooked right. It wouldn't be presented right. You couldn't wash your hands right. And so the food separated. And that went on for centuries. Generation after generation. I'll do business with you. We can buy and sell camels. We might do a little farming or negotiating. I might sell you some goods and you might share with me some. Well, we will do some trading for merchandise. But we're not going to be friends. You're not coming to my house for dinner, and I'm not coming to yours. 
food separated. And then Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament. A few weeks ago, we preached about it. Jesus made his purpose, his existence, his reason for being incredibly clear. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I've come that they may have life and they, they may have it more abundantly. Look at Luke 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose was to find folks who hadn't been near him. His purpose was to pursue people who didn't know him. That's what he was all about. But Jesus also declared his practice. Look at Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, the words of Jesus. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said, not only did I come to seek and to save that which is lost, I came to rattle the way you try to find God. I've come to change up the circumstance and the situation in discovery. He's come eating and drinking. And he got accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, after centuries of Israel using meals to build their own little camp in the middle of the desert in their specialized tents, Jesus came and said, I'm leaving the tents behind. I'm walking out of the camps and I'm going to go to other people's tents and other people's camps and I'm going to eat their food. You know what happened when he did that? They accused him of leaving the camp. Who's this guy laughing it up with those folks in that camp? Who's this lady having coffee with someone from that? Are you with me? They accused him of treachery. They accused him of falsehood. They accused him of becoming like the people he was reaching. But yet it didn't stop him. His eating and his drinking occasions are recorded multiple times in multiple settings with multiple groups of people in very public ways. Jesus ate with the people. Check the Bible out. His first miracle was at... A wedding feast in Cana. He goes to the feast and gets involved with what's going on. Listen, uh, the jars that he used when he turned the water into wine. You know what those jars were there for? For cleaning people's feet. Jesus made the statement, I'm not worried about cleaning feet and hands and ceremonial washing anymore. Let's fill those things up with wine and let's have a feast together and let's recognize there's a celebration in the kingdom of God. In his very first miracle, he's changing up what's happening with food. Feeding 5,000 men, we get all jazzed. He fed 5,000 and he fed 4,000. In the 5,000, most of those people were Israelites. You know what they were thinking about? My God, he's up there touching every piece of bread and every bit of fish, putting it in these baskets that we got from who knows where. And these 12 guys that are from Galilee, for crying out loud, are walking through the audience, handing, there's no wash basins, are you all with me? We don't know where that fish came from. We don't know where that bread came from. In the miracle in itself, among 5,000 Jewish people, he is playing with their separation. He is playing with their seclusion. For centuries they had decided, I'll do business with you, but you can't be my friend. Jesus is saying, I'm here about more than doing business. I'm here about getting in people's lives, having dinner with folks and celebrating a meal together. And the next miracle, something like it, it's 4,000 people. 
And for us, most of the time, we just see, well, it's a thousand different. I guess he didn't have as much blessing this time. <laughs> Same deal. He breaks the bread. He breaks the fish. He hands it all out. But here, it's predominantly Gentiles. And Jesus is still messing with them. Because they look at him and they look at those 12 disciples and like, who are these Israelites having dinner with us? What are they doing sitting down and eating with us? This, for cent, this hasn't happened. We've done business transactions. They buy grain from us and we sell them robes and cloth and special things we get from other areas. We, we, we bought land, we sold land, but we've never had this kind of relationship. Jesus time and time again has eaten with them. In fact, when he called the 12, look what happens in Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And the next verse, later on, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who for centuries had been using food to separate and segregate and isolate, when those folks saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? Separation of camps can cause us to look like the others as the enemy. In verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think, they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus made it plain. I'm not here to play with your little things that you're doing in a religiosity. And I'm not here to get involved with all these things that you talk about formalizing and separating and segregating. I'm not here for you. You think you're perfect already. I have come for those who recognize and realize. I hear the invitation of one who will forgive me, who will cleanse me, who will set me free and redeem me unto himself. That's who I'm here for. They called Jesus a traitor because of who he was eating with. What's he doing in their camp? Why is he welcoming them into our camp? But if you read the Gospels, and we'll dive into this in the next number of messages, if you, you find Jesus he ate dinner. He had food with Jews and Gentiles. He went to their houses. He ate, day, he ate dinner. We engaged with family and with friends. He, he ate with the rulers and with the downcast. With the followers and with the foes. He ate with those close to him and to those who were perfect strangers. He ate with people who were completely unaware of who he was and what he was trying to do. And he ate with those who found out and repented and turned their lives around. And he had dinner with those who were just simply defiant. The scribes and Pharisees invited him to dinner. You know what he did? He went. <laughs> Jesus had dinner with the ritually unclean and with the morally unclean. He engaged and affiliated and associated and had conversation, initiated relationships with those who were sinners of every sort and description. He engaged people in their daily lives. And he did it over dinner. He got personal with people. He got close to them. No longer keeping people at arm's length. More than praying for the people in the other camps. He went to the camps. More than praying for those who 
would know him and understand him and discover his forgiveness. He sat side by side with them at a table, sharing food and drink without fear. Why did Jesus do that? He did it to tear down the camps, to break down the barriers. When it came to meals, understand with me that Jesus, the master, turned the religious world on its head. While they were secluded, he came eating and drinking. He ignored their dietary barriers. He overlooked their cleansing rituals. Meals would no longer separate in this New Testament church world he was establishing. Meals would no longer censor. He dined with everybody. You know what Jesus did? He accepted invitations so he could extend salvation invitations. He accepted dinner invitations so he could extend salvation invitations. Author Craig Blomberg observes this, as to the meaning of Jesus' behavior, the unifying theme that emerges is one that may be called contagious holiness. Jesus discloses not one instance of fearing contamination, whether moral or ritual, by associating with the wicked or impure. Rather, Jesus believes his purity can rub off on others. Jesus believes his big-heartedness toward others will lead them to hear and follow his calls to discipleship. You see, Jesus turned it around. Rather than acting like sin was contagious, Jesus lived like his righteousness was contagious. In Old Testament, meals separated. In the New Testament, meals were shared. In the Old Testament, the people came to God in the temple. In the New Testament, Jesus went to people at the table. It's a different dimension and a different understanding that he brought into being. In the Old Testament, people were afraid. But Jesus brought faith, and here's how he did it. The last words he said in Acts chapter 1, before he ascended in heaven, after the resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus made it very pivotal. Here's what's going to make it different. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth what's Jesus saying in terms of our conversation today of our topic today Jesus is saying I am going to leave my spirit the Holy Spirit in you you'll be empowered and here's what that will do it'll let you leave your camp without worry of being infected by sin. Here's what it'll let you do. Instead of saying our temple is at this tabernacle place, everybody come here and find God. The Holy Spirit will say, you don't have to just invite people, you go to people. Jesus said, go by that power, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Jesus said, you don't have to see that people are limited. When he resurrected, when he died and was resurrected, the separation in the tabernacle, the tent, the, the, the curtain that separated the power and presence, the holy place from everything else was torn from the top to the bottom. Why? Because the power of God was no longer restricted to a location and a visitation just by certain people in a certain place in a certain time. But Jesus made it clear, now I will be in you and you will take my power and my right.
righteousness and my glory and be witnesses to me everywhere you go. And that realization was not merely conceptual. He didn't just preach it. He lived it. He lived it. Indeed, from everything we read, Jesus continued to go to the church every weekend at least. He continued to gather to discuss the scriptures, to share, to inform, and to engage. But what we see more predominantly different in the New Testament than the Old is throughout the week, Jesus accepted invitations. He went to people's houses. He had lunch with folks, shared coffee with them, accepted invitations so that he might expound and share an invitation. First thing I want to say in response to this understanding of Scripture To anybody listening today, here, online, right now, or in the days to come, to any listener, if your experience with Christians has been that they like to dwell in an exclusive camp where you haven't felt welcome, I apologize. Forgive me, forgive us for acting intentionally or accidentally secluding ourselves, either purposefully, practically, or just giving off the vibe. Forgive us, please, if we've acted or given you that impression. When disciples act exclusive, we are not behaving like Jesus. Jesus didn't isolate himself. He's available to every human being to hear his gospel. He's invited everyone to follow him. Jesus wants every human to become like him. Jesus came for everyone. And I just pray you'll forgive followers of Christ. Forgive us our faults and let Jesus into your life. If you've been offended, if you've been felt separated or distanced, would you forgive us and let Jesus have his say anyway? If you're a listener today, right here, right now, or viewing in the days to come, and you thought yourselves living in a camp too far from Christ, I'm too far away from him. The camp I'm in is too broken. The camp I'm in is too unclean, too hopeless. I hope you'll hear me today. That simply is not true. Jesus came seeking for every person, for every one of us. He came eating and drinking and visiting. He accepted invitations from all sorts of people. And I'm going to invite us to pray right now. Here's that first moment to stop and pray. Regardless of who you are and where you are, if there's any kind of distance between you and Christ, I'm going to ask you right now to begin to pray and offer an invitation. Will you say to the Lord right now, Lord, I invite you to my house. I, I invite you to my life. Would you pray that way right now? Would you pray for someone else who needs to hear that right now? Lord, I, I open up my mind. I open up my spirit. Lord, I'm tired of my mistakes and my failures. I want you, Jesus. I, I need you, Jesus. I'm weary of my way of living, Lord. I'm glad to hear I'm not too far away. I, I'm glad to hear, Lord, that I'm not beyond. I'm glad to hear, Lord, I'm not in a camp that you don't see. I, I'm not in a place that you can't get to. I'm not a person, Lord, where you'll deny my invitation that I'm saying, come, Oh, Lord, visit me. Come to me, Lord Jesus. Forgive me. Work in me. Lead me. Lord, I want to follow after you. Lord, would you come? 
Come on, it's beautiful all over this house. I see individuals reaching out to the Lord. I, I see men and women not only for themselves, but for some others. Oh, we pray, oh God, that you would work and visit, Lord, the truth of this scripture would be realized in minds and hearts. Lord, that it would be accepted and responded to. Lord, those that have believed the enemy's lie, thought, Lord, they were too far away, thought, Lord, they were too this or that, have excused themselves from your power for one reason or another. I pray, oh Lord, they receive the truth of your message today. You came seeking. You came looking. You came answering invitations and going into people's lives. You're in this building today. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to enter into a second dimension of prayer. And as we begin praying in this second dimension, if you feel like you want to leave from where you're seated and come down an aisle and present yourself around the front for a special focused time of prayer you're going to be welcome to do that we're going to enter into a second dimension of prayer jesus seeking his engaging people of all backgrounds you know what it does it challenges you and me to travel the distance between where i'm camping and where people around me are living challenges me to leave my, my cozy Christian meetings and my comfortable holy talk and get involved with people around me. I think about last week and I think about last month and I think about my life to this point. And do I live like a camp buster that Jesus was or do I live like a camp builder of the Old Testament? wonder how often I've thought you know those people in what way I've looked at others critically forgetting what Paul said so plainly such were some of you let me remind you of something Jesus came into that world in the New Testament and he provoked people who for centuries had been secluded generation after generation of seclusion he knew the change was difficult he knew that he was asking them to do something incredible and yet he still expects to change why because he empowers this generation by the Holy Spirit and some disciples have been fooled into thinking Standing on God's word means isolating from those around us. But Jesus illustrated and taught. Trusting the Holy Spirit means fellowship with all camps. It means connecting and associating and sharing. Following Christ's purpose means reproducing his practice. means I've got a knowledge I don't fear sin my faith is in the spirit of Christ within me but even Jesus own disciples they didn't get it right off and they they even get were forgetful look at this passage of scripture and then we're gonna pray after Jesus ascended into heaven people began begin filled with the Holy Spirit Predominantly, it was happening among the Israelite people. But the Lord's plans were bigger. And dinners were extended farther. But his disciples weren't getting the message. And look what happens in Acts chapter 10. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Look at this. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. All kind of recipes, all kind of food. Not just one-year-old male perfect lambs. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. He still didn't get it. He walked with Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was one of the disciples who ate among the 4,000 Gentiles. He didn't get it. Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The Bible said the, voice, the same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Same vision was repeated. You know what that tells me? It tells me two things. Peter had a hard time believing in that Holy Spirit that he received in Acts chapter 2 was able to overcome the generation of separation that had been handed down to him. He wrestled with it. It was tough for him. He couldn't, couldn't figure it out. He didn't know if he could do it on his own. Jesus wasn't physically there. Can I trust the Spirit in me? That's one thing I learned. The other thing I learned is this. The grace of God. I'm going to keep repeating this vision until you get it. I'm going to keep sharing this revelation until you live in it, until you act on it, till you're comfortable and confident in it. The vision was repeated. Here's how I'm inviting us to pray in this house right now. Pray where you are or come around the front. But Lord... Repeat that vision in my life until my faith in you is confident. Until I live the way you've called me to live in this community. Until I dwell the way you want me to dwell. Keep going, Lord. Keep revealing to me. Keep talking to me. Keep visiting me until, Lord, I am confident of your power. I am confident of your authority. Until I'm confident, Lord, to accept this invitations so that I can express your gospel invitation. Reveal it to me, oh Lord. Would you pray that way right now? All over this audience, again, here and those afar, any listener, if you want, come on, step out of your pew, walk down an aisle, gather around a front area, kneel if you need to. But this is a revelation of New Testament connection. God is calling us. He has empowered us to associate, to engage, to build relationships, to build friendships. All oh, the enemy laughs when gospel-filled people, when spirit-filled people build tents, hide in camps, and don't share the gospel. The enemy is pleased, but Jesus is pleased. When we follow the example of the Master, we accept invitations, we engage, we have meals, we share. Oh, that's awesome, church. Come on. Let the power of the Holy Ghost validate His Word right now. Disciples of Christ don't live in fear in a sinful world. We live in faith of a holy God and His Holy Spirit that dwells within us that it would be impacting and empowering and informing and inspiring to all around us. Lord, don't give up on us. Loving Savior who came to seek and to save. To all, Lord, who still are, have enough faith to invite you, Lord, don't give up on us. To those, Lord, who still aren't certain of your love and your concern and your willingness to visit us in our place where we are right now, Lord, don't give up on us. Lord, for we disciples who struggle like Peter struggled, don't give up on us. 
Lord, you repeated the vision. I think I get it today, Lord, but if I forget it on Wednesday, will you share the vision again? I think I get it right now, Lord. But on Thursday evening when I'm at the Costco, Lord, will you bring the vision to me again? I think I have it right now, Lord, but when I'm on the campus in college and high school, Lord, would you bring the vision again? Lord, when I'm dealing with that contrary co-worker who really pushes me to the edge, Lord, bring the vision again, Lord. You know, I want you to understand that the way those meals started out in the Old Testament were right. It's what the Lord wanted his people to do in that time and in that hour. The people took it farther than what God intended. And secondly, I want you to remember this. The reason there is a New Testament is because the seclusion was not effective. Because what was going on in the Old Testament was not propagating the redemption of humanity to relationship with God Almighty. The reason there's a new... I'm not here to beat down folks who followed what they should in the Old Testament. I'm here to proclaim it is a new testament. And if you and I default to Old Testament living and we are saying we do not have faith in the Holy Spirit given to us. I want to choose the power of God day in and day out. Does that make you uncomfortable sometimes, preacher? Oh, yeah, I'm just as human as anybody else. I have temperament and personality traits that hinder and help me in a variety of ways, just like everybody else. But the Holy Spirit is not limited to my personality. Why is it we can believe him to do the miraculous, heal cancer, stop disease and he can't help me over why particular personality perk to share the gospel isn't that funny and isn't that the way we are sometimes yeah you've been listening to the living faith everett podcast series tune in next week for the next part of this series or join us online at livingfaithministries.church Ghost, you give me peace.